Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss how cannabis use affects breast cancer treatment, New York's decision about racism, and how a nurse stole over $70,000 from her patient. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 108 for the week of October 25th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is R68.83, or chills without fever. Uh-oh. Huh. What, a, like, what a normal diagnosis code, first of all. Like, very, very, cool. like, standard, standard <laughs> fare. Just some chills. Don't have a fever, just got some just, chills. Yeah, I guess that's a billable code. I don't I don't know what the cost <laughs> of that for that would be, because it would be like right. a dollar. Hey, you had chills. I got to bill you for it. You know, right. Oops. <laughs> Oops. It's like 20 Oops, bucks. You know. Dang. Make a killing. <laughs> um, it's also, I mean, of course, it's a very appropriate considering it's almost Halloween. Oh, my. I know. Gosh. It's crazy. Very time. It is crazy. How fast I, uh, the year went. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I saw a video on Netflix that talked about the movie Halloween. Mm. And... Michael Myers, his mask is actually just a painted Captain Kirk mask. They just bought a Captain Kirk mask, painted it white, and then made his eyes bigger, cut bigger holes for the eyes, and that's all all it is. Well, you know what? That's like terror on a budget, man. Like... I know. Imagine playing clever because that's like iconic now. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. It's literally crazy. I I, I saw that. It blew my mind. I was like, wow. It just seemed like they were just kind of like off the cuff making this movie and now they right. an iconic scary guy. So it's pretty cool. Anyways, first up we have cannabis and cancer don't mix. A wide ranging survey of breast cancer patients found that 42% had used some form of cannabis to reduce symptoms while only 39% of cannabis users told their doctors about it. According to a new study published in cancer, a journal of the American cancer society, The anonymous online survey involved 612 patients recruited through breastcancer.org and healthline.com. On average, the surveyed individuals had received a cancer diagnosis 20 months earlier. Almost half believed that medical cannabis could treat cancer itself, although there was no scientific evidence from human trials to support the idea. The study concluded that both patients and their doctors need more information about marijuana because the drug could interfere with some treatments or make patients vulnerable to new side effects. Patients who are immunocompromised because of their cancer treatment should be especially wary of marijuana purchased illegally as street jugs often contain dangerous impurities. Interesting. So, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on about marijuana and cannabis in general. Right. Especially with medicinal marijuana. Yes. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily a biased survey. Are they anti-drug? It could be. But if we say it, if we look at it from face value, um, it's really, you know, you smoking marijuana is still smoking. <laughs> right. So some people, some people think that it's like healthier, a healthier way to smoke. And there is benefits sure. to marijuana in terms of like mental health and things like that. But it is right. still bad for your lungs. Well, I was just going to say, if I were diagnosed with some sort of like, you know, like cancer or some incurable disease, I might want to just smoke all the time. I might want to be high. Like, I just right. might want that to, like, take my mind off of things or to chill myself out. Maybe not even specifically because of, me- like, medical 
I don't know, reasons or like medicinal purposes, but even right. just the like the idea that it would like for a minute, like ease my anxiety or something like that. So I'm wondering what the correlation there is too, as like a, like an anti-anxiety type drug or using it for that, because I can't imagine that, you know, getting that kind of diagnosis wouldn't be really like make a lot of people very anxious. Right. Plus, uh, you know, it is worth noting that this comes from the Philadelphia Inquirer. So it is, you know, a publication. It's not like some sort of tabloid because there is also the Inquirer, which is a different type of publication that is a tabloid. So this right. is a reputable source. Um, of course, it's just one of those things where it's correlation doesn't always equal causation. So there needs yeah. to be more research that has, has to happen. For sure. Um, but, you know, helpful to know either way. Yeah. All right. Racism as a public crisis. New York City's Board of Health last week passed a resolution that names racism as a public health crisis, joining the growing list of state and local governments around the country that have done so in recent years. The resolution calls on the city's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene to take steps including reviewing the city's health code to look for structural racism and find ways to make changes as necessary. Supporters have said it's an important step in addressing problems, while some have questioned whether the declarations will lead to real change. My first, yeah, I mean, this, go ahead. No, I was going to say, my first takeaway here is Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. He mental Hygiene. I just like that phrase. I like that. Like, <laughs> mental Hygiene. I'm um, just checking my mental hygiene. I'm brushing my brain today. I'm like, <laughs> like I don't know. That's just. Brushing your brain. Yeah. That's awesome. I I guess they just didn't want to be redundant. I mean, sure, they probably sure. kind of just left it at Department of Health. But right. they definitely didn't want it to be Department of Health and Mental Health because it just sounds redundant. So right. you know, hygiene works, you know, it sounds nice. Yeah, it does. No, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is, I guess, you know, you could say that this is a good thing. I mean, any kind of oh, yeah. calls towards ra ending racism is, is a good move. I don't know how impactful it will be, though. Sure. Um, because it seems so niche. But, yeah. I mean, any effort towards, like I said, any effort towards the cause is, is a good effort in my book. But Right. Well, and even just recognizing it as being a public health crisis rather than just like a social sort of right. issue, but seeing it as like a health issue, like, no, like racist policies are affecting the health of like a lot of people of color because mm -hmm. they Plus, can't get the same services or their services are like less affected, whatever it is, like yeah. the areas where like they live are not being, I don't know, like don't have the resources available to like the more white affluent areas. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's good to be able to kind of list those things and like recognize that, you know, racism does affect health just as much as mm -hmm. it affects, you know, the ability to get a job or the ability to like get good housing, anything like that. Right. Unfortunately, and, it does yeah. happen where this, you know, it's, it's starting to become a political move too, like the push Absolutely. against racism. So hopefully yeah. this isn't just a political move. Right. Um, and they're actually going towards a cause here. So, you know, I'm going to be optimistic and say that it isn't right. and it's going to be good. Right. Well, it's like the same thing as I don't know if it was a story we talked about a few weeks ago, but like cities and states that are naming like gun violence as a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. Like, great. Like, cool. You can now do like some research on it and hopefully like find some, I don't know, reason, some ways to like make policy that will curb you know curb gun violence and things like that right. but it's i don't know it sounds better in theory i'm wondering like in practice what that actually looks like and what kind of results they get 
Right. Uh, next up, warrant out for nurse. Brittany Nicole Kelly, who's 30 years old, is currently accused of stealing the identity of an elderly Houston couple while working in their home as a caretaker for right at home in home care and assistance. According to the court documents, the male victim said upon checking his financial transaction, he noticed checks were forged in his name, money was withdrawn from his bank accounts, and credit cards were opened in his now deceased wife's name. More than $70,933.50 was stolen from the couple. Of that amount, almost $9,000 was used to pay Kelly's rent, and almost $400 was charged on a credit card to purchase hair extensions. The elderly man said he never gave Kelly consent and believed she took up to 11 pieces of identifying information from him and his wife because she had access to their home and could easily obtain their personal information, checks, and credit cards. This is like a, a, a real-world physical form of phishing. Yeah, like in-person phishing. Yeah. It's also like, I mean, this isn't the first time something like this has happened, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it seems like people sometimes tend to take advantage of the elderly, whether it be in right. uh, retirement homes or in this case, in-home nursing, which um, is terrible. So my question is, more than $70,933 was stolen. Okay, so like 9000 went to pay rent and like 400 was for like hair extensions, which is beyond me. Like, that's just crazy. Like... $400 on hair extensions, which maybe, I don't know, hair costs a lot, I guess. But like, okay, so that's, you know, $9,400. Where is this other like 60 grand? Like, like <laughs> yeah, what that's was, true. I love that we don't get a detail about the other 60,000 that's missing, but it was, that's... but we do know where eight went and we know where another four went. The other 60 could be anywhere. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I just you imagine know. like the other 60 grand is just like eating out at McDonald's like every night. Like she treated <laughs> herself to like dinner out of, like all the time until it added a up lot to 70 of grand. Like, that's insane. Yeah, maybe she was saving up for something. She was saving up for the big purchase. <laughs> and then, sure. You know, something right. bad happened. And I was expecting it to be like, oh, she spent like 25000 on a car and like this and that. It's like, no, 9000 on rent, 400 on hair extensions. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm. Unfortunate. It seems like obviously justice is going to be served. So, you know. Yeah, it looks like they're looking for. Sucks that that happened, but. Right. All is not lost. Yeah. Just 70,000. Well, right. <laughs> With that, let's go on to our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach. All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. Take it away, Albert. All right. Ransomware reporting law. The new Ransom Disclosure Act was introduced last week, and it aims to require ransomware victims to report ransom payment information to the Department of Homeland Security while providing the government with critical data on cyber criminal enterprises. Specifically, the act would require organizations to disclose ransom information within 48 hours of the time of payment. Victims must tell DHS the amount of ransom demanded and paid, any known information about the cyber criminals requesting the ransom, and the currency used to pay the ransom, according to the bill. The act would also require DHS to disclose ransom information to the public regarding attacks committed during the previous year. To protect victims, DHS will omit any identifying information about the entities that paid ransoms. 
DHS would also be required to establish a website where individuals can easily report ransomware payments. Uh, so, you know, I feel like with how popular ransomware has been lately, right? Yep. it's only a matter of time before the government came up with something to try to, uh, you know, either alert people or prevent it. And in this case, it seems like this is more of like an alert version, an awareness type sure. of act where you have to tell the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security keeps track of all the information of all the ransoms that were paid, and then publishes something at the end of the year about, you know, this year versus last year from a ransomware perspective. So, yeah, I, I imagine there's going to be more that comes with this, but yeah, good start. I'm just kind of, well, yeah, but that's the problem. It's a start. I'm kind of like confused that we didn't already have something in place like this. Like, yeah, it did take a ransomware while. Ransomware isn't like, uh, it's just frustrating that it seems so reactive as opposed, as opposed to proactive. And maybe that's yeah, just the fact true. that like our government is predominantly older like run by older Americans who aren't maybe as up on the time. Like, I don't know if you watched any of those like depositions with like Facebook officials. Mm -hmm. It was like painful to watch these like yeah, they were. They old didn't know men them. asking these questions and like not clearly understanding anything they were talking about in terms of like tech or, yeah. you know, any kind of like social media or that kind of stuff. It, it was really, really frustrating. And this is, I mean, it's great that they're finally taking some action, but it's also frustrating that it's taken this long. Like how many more victims in the last five years have like, like how many people have fallen victim to this because the government hadn't put right. stricter or like done these things sooner. So I agree. I agree. Hopefully, hopefully this like lights a fire under them to continue, like to push quickly to like pass legislation that, will help protect people against this kind of stuff and curb, uh, you know, the effectiveness of ransomware or at least the how often it happens, like find ways to prevent this before it happens other than being so reactive. Right. Yep, I agree. Um, you know, I want to say that the FBI discourages that organizations who are affected by ransomware even pay the ransom. Yeah. Um, it's important to, to make that notice, but in some cases, a lot of organizations have worked closely with the FBI because that's also one of the biggest things is when you get a ransomware attack, you need to like disclose that information to the FBI so they can kind of help you out because that's kind of why they exist. Right. Um, but in some cases, even working with the FBI, there's no choice but to pay the ransom, especially for the bigger, you know, especially the, the newer infrastructure attacks that have happened. So sure. Yep. Next up, ransomware caught in the act. If you didn't have enough ransomware already, here's some right. more. Wow. Sinclair Broadcast Group Incorporated provided information last week on a recent cybersecurity incident. On October 16th, the company identified and began to investigate and take steps to contain a potential security incident. The following day, Sinclair Broadcast Group identified that certain servers and workstations in its environment were encrypted with ransomware and that certain office and operational networks were disrupted. Data was also taken from the company's network. The company is working to determine what information the data contained and will take other actions as appropriate based on its review. As the company is in its early stages of its investigation and assessment of the security event, they cannot determine at this time whether or not such an event will have a material impact on its business operations or financial results. So it's a broadcasting group, which, yeah. you I know. Think they do like a lot of news. Yeah, if I remember I, correctly, I I think Sinclair is that the big one? Is that the it, one that I does local it, news? I think it is. Yeah, 
Yeah, they do like massive local news. I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it just goes to show you that ransomware affects all types of industries. But also, I feel like there will be a time where there will be a ransomware attack that happens on a news station or some sort of TV station, yep. and the the attacking group sends a message via the network that's like yeah. super spooky, like some right. like diehard style stuff. stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's what it's going to be. I think they're going to do that eventually. And it'll be cool to watch that video, but it'll also be like, whoa, this is like some dystopian experience. Yeah. Yep. 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 But yeah. Ransomware. It's everywhere. More. Yeah. More ransomware. Yep. <laughs> Can't get away from it this week. All right. Next. Celebrity data leaked on Twitter. Soccer icons Lionel Messi and Sergio Aguero were among an initial group of celebrities who saw personal images and data published online by a hacker claiming to have infiltrated the Argentinian government's IT network. News of the hack emerged in September of 2021 when the hacker, using an account named at Leaks, published the details of 44 Argentinian celebrities on Twitter. The hacker followed up these posts with an ad on a hacking forum offering to look up the details of any Argentinian and claims to have access to all the files in the official database. This includes full names, home addresses, birth dates, gender info, ID card issuance and expiration dates, labor identification codes, traumite numbers, citizen numbers, and government photo IDs. A traumite number is similar to a U.S. social security number and should be protected by the user and the government in order to prevent fraud. So this, you know, I mean... Unfortunate for the soccer icons, obviously not good that they have this information available in a database. Right. But, you know, got to hand it to Annabel Leaks here that he's quite the marketing genius. Right. Or she. Yeah, right. He or she. It I seems like. Annabelle. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, they're like, we've got all this information. How do we get people to want to purchase this legal information on a large scale? They're like, well, let's just. Post this as an advertisement. With right. How bold. Icons. Right. Bold. Very bold. Very, very bold. bold. Just very brash. It's a good strategy, though. It is a good sure strategy. It got a lot of attention. It definitely did because we're talking about it. <laughs> but once again, check your cybersecurity. Make sure that, especially you're a government, you're the government of a country. Like, no. You should be protected against this kind of stuff, or at least, like, I don't know. Doesn't seem like this was difficult for Annabelle. Like, make it. I don't know, harder. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like we get these stories every week where like someone's government, some either like local or state or in this right. case, an entire country's government is hacked. Agreed. Like, how is the government not ahead of this kind of stuff? But whatever. Hopefully no real damage was done. It was, you know, we'll see. Probably have to get some, you know, might have to move. I don't know. I don't know what happens. With, uh, yeah, especially when with you're a celebrity and now people know yeah. where you live. And uh. Go, let's go drive by and say hi. See right. if Lionel's around. Is Lionel in today? Hey, can I'm his old friend. Right. Do you need to, does Lionel need his grass mode? Like. And that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.